0: Listen, we're glad you joined us this morning. Uh, we got so, a lot of a lot of things coming up this summer. We're excited about. You know, we took a bunch of uh, a bunch of us went to the Ark Encounter yesterday, and you know, we had kids riding camels. Shauna rode a camel. I don't know if you saw that or not, but it, it it was a lot of fun. But it's always fun when we get to do things together. And we've got s- several things planned uh, this summer. As you saw, one of the things, just keep in mind tonight, it's going to be a worship night at 6 p.m. So. Bring somebody with you to that. Those are always really, really good. I don't know what happens, but something happens here. The Lord shows up whenever we do those, so I'm expecting y'all to come out and really enjoy that with us. And then lastly, we've kind of, uh, as we do, we, we do our small groups semesterly, so to speak, kind of like you do school. And so they've kind of all entered into a little season of a break And not this coming Wednesday, but next Wednesday, we're going to be having Wednesday night services right here, June the 9th, just for about four weeks, just to mix it up. And then, of course, we'll be starting small groups once again in August. But uh, keep that in mind. We'd love to see you tonight and then also on those Wednesday nights as well. But I'm in uh, my third message in this sermon series on the Holy Spirit. I hope you've been enjoying it so far. I know I have. But this message this morning is called Spirit-Filled Jesus. And if you would, I want you to turn... In your Bible, if you have one, to John 31 or John 3, verse 31 through verse 36. And we'll read that and then we'll pray together. Amen. John 3, verse 31 through 36, it says, The one who comes from above is above all. And the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Now, he's speaking specifically that God gives the Spirit to Jesus without limit, is the the phrasing there. And then it says, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Would you mind turning my mic down just a little bit? Thank you very much. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful this morning for your work in our, in our lives and, God, for your spirit that is at work in our lives. And, God, we believe that when we hear your word, your spirit is at work to plant that word in our hearts, God, and transform who we are and conform us to the, into the very image of Jesus, and so this morning, Lord, we open our hearts, we open our minds to receive your word. We pray that it would go forth, empower God, and that we would receive exactly what you want us to hear, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things and we say amen. 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 So listen, you know, I've, I've said this a few times before, maybe you've heard me say it, maybe you've not, but in some, in some regard, you can, you can really categorize people into three different groups. And one one group of people that we have in the world are just just flat-out sinners in the fact that these people have embraced their sin, and they don't want to change. They want to stay exactly as they are, and they've got no real reason to change in their mind, and they say, this is just who I am, this is how I want to be, And, 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 and that's just how it's going to be. I've been there in my life. You ever been there, right? Like, I've been in that category before. But then there's another group of people, and when they get involved in church, they realize, hey, maybe I need to be a better person. Maybe I need to try harder. And so they become a religious. That's the second type of person that you see. You see a religious person. And they're like, you know what? I need to do better. I need to try harder. I need to be a better person. And and then so what they do is in their own strength, they try to become a better person. And two things usually happen. Either they figure out that they do a pretty good job and they get puffed up in self-righteousness and look down at others. Or they do a fairly poor job and despair and say, man, this Christian life doesn't work. There's nothing real to this. I'm not changing. I'm trying hard but nothing's happening. But then there's a third group of people, and these people are spiritual people that are in the world. And what they realize is that they need to change, they need to grow, they need to develop, but they cannot do it in their own strength, they cannot do it in their own wisdom. So they actually look to a source and a power outside of themselves to help them do this. Now, obviously, there are different religions and there are different spirits that you can make connection with, right? There's New Age religion out there in the world where you can get outside sources of various forms of spirit mediums and powers and all these things. And we know that those are not godly spirits, right? But see, Jesus Christ was the spiritual man. He was fully God and He was fully man, but He came and demonstrated to us what it looked like to be a man fully reliant upon the Holy Spirit. And the Scripture actually teaches that God gave the Holy Spirit to Jesus without limit. Now I don't know about you, but, but the reality is, is we've got the Holy Spirit as Christian people, but we don't have the Holy Spirit without limit because we as fallen, broken human beings put limitations on how the Spirit can be active and move and operate in our lives. Jesus Jesus was a perfect human being. There was no limit to how the Holy Spirit could use him in his fullness. And that's why he says, Man, this God, God sent the Son, and the Son speaks what the Father speaks. He does what he sees the Father doing, and therefore, right, God has given him the Spirit without limit. Now we have limitations in our life, but this does not change the fact that Jesus has come to demonstrate and to show us something. And he's been given the Spirit without limit, and he is the spiritual man. And the Christian life is really about, it's it's about becoming more and more like Jesus. Most people would say that, right? Like, if we're a Christian, one of the things that we know we're trying to do is we're trying to live like Jesus. And when I think about that statement, because when you come to the Bible and you read it at face value, like as a child, right? And you just read it. You're reading in the beginning, and you're working through it, you're reading the Bible, and, and you're studying it, you would assume, man, there, there's some things going on in here that are amazing. I mean, look at all these miracles that Jesus did, and not only what Jesus did, but what His disciples do. And, and, and what does that mean for us? If we're to be like Jesus, like what are the limits that we put on ourselves? You know what I'm saying? Because, because a lot of... I read, I read a really good book by J.I. Packer, you know, talking about the holiness of God, and he said, we're supposed to live like Jesus in every area of life. And he listed all of these areas, but really... He was just saying, essentially, we just need to love people like Jesus loved. We need to suffer persecution like Jesus suffered persecution. But what he didn't really get into was the things that Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we supposed to do things that Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, here's my argument for you this morning is that Jesus did everything that he did in his life and ministry through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. There was not one thing that Jesus did that He did alone as the Son of God. No, He did everything that He did as a man, as the Son of God, in right relationship with the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed to carry out the mission of the Father who sent Him. And you see those things at work. So what he's doing is he's giving us a new reality that when we get saved, guess what? This ministry is not my ministry and this ministry is not your ministry. This ministry is the ministry of Jesus Christ. And first and foremost, it is to the Father. That's why when we come here and we meet, what do we do first? We worship God the Father first through the Holy Spirit. And as we are in right relationship with God the Father in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and anoints us and empowers us to continue Jesus' mission. You say amen to that this morning? Now, I know this, you're going to have to put your thinking caps on this morning. But number one, my first point is that the, the God gives Jesus the Holy Spirit without limit. Jesus was given the Holy Spirit without limit. And see, this is important to understand because he begins to set a precedent for how the body of Christ, the people of God, should operate in the earth. And when we don't understand the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ, we don't understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and how we are to continue the work that Jesus left us with. So let me say this. Let me make this statement, because when I get into this, this becomes very confusing. And I don't know who you are, but, you know, there's always like every time you preach, there's like three heresy police in the service. Anybody amen me, right? Like three people that are just looking for you to mess up and say something that's a little bit wrong. I get, so, so I got to be a little bit clear with what I'm saying. Let me make this statement. Jesus is God. He was always God. And he will always be God. Jesus never ceased being God. Even when He took on human flesh, He was fully God. And listen, there were a lot of arguments that the church got into back in, back in the early part of the church because they were arguing, was, was God, like, could He still be God and still be fully man? So they would say, well, no, He's half God, half man. No, that's not right. Jesus is fully God, fully man. And both of those two, two aspects of His nature are joined together so that they can never be separated. He is eternally the Word of God who spoke the worlds into existence, who created all things, who sat at the right hand of God the Father. But He comes in a moment of time in history, and for 33 years on this earth roughly, He came, became man and yet was still fully God. So we believe that, and we would never deny the divinity of Jesus Christ. Amen. I talk to people sometimes, and they're like, I've had a conversation with different people because people wrestle with this. They're like, well, he wasn't—he wasn't completely human because obviously he had these other. No, he was completely human. He went through the exact same things that you and I went through. And it's important that we understand this because here's what I want you to understand. That even though Jesus never ceased being God, the works that he did on earth, he didn't do just because he was God. He did as a human being in right relationship with the Father, anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So whenever we say things like this, because we've had conversations before, and, and we say, well, you know, you know, Clay, you can't really do the things that Jesus did because Jesus was God. But see, we see that Jesus actually ends up saying, well, his disciples, his disciples, they did the same things that Jesus did, didn't they? They did very similar works. Now, they didn't do them in fullness all on their own, but together corporately as a body, they were carrying out the continued work of Jesus Christ. Because what? Because he gave them the Holy Spirit. So he was trying to bring them into that position and he gives the Holy Spirit to Jesus, God does, without limit. And what you see when you see Jesus is you see a man functioning flawlessly by God's design, sinless and completely full of the Holy Spirit to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so you see this at work in Jesus, and Jesus becomes a representative. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did God have to become a man to save us? You ever asked that question? Because if God is God, and He wanted to save us, couldn't He have done anything? I mean, He could have literally put a billboard in the sky and said, say this prayer, and you'll all be saved, couldn't He? He could have dropped pamphlets out of the sky. He 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 didn't even have to come as a man. He could have come as God in spirit. And he could have been a 150,000 foot spirit that everybody in the world looked up to and saw and he could have spoke and said this is the way to salvation. He could have done anything that he wanted to but you need to understand that he set certain parameters in this world. When he created this world, he designed it sinless, without fault, without pain. It was an endless sea of glory that was designed to reflect heaven as long as humanity would be in right relationship with God. Adam and Eve were placed here. Adam means humanity. Eve means life. It's talking about human life in the garden. And he said, you got to steward all this creation. He said this, I give you dominion over it. You allow things to come and go as they're supposed to go. You keep certain things out, and you order creation as you are in right relationship with me. But the problem is, is that they submitted their authority To Satan and believed his lie. And when they did, sin and chaos and darkness and death and disease entered into the world and they forfeited their authority to Satan. And Jesus and Paul in the New Testament discuss this at length because they call Satan, notice this, the lowercase g god of this world. Jesus calls him two times in the book of John, the ruler of this system of things. So Jesus is saying, when you look at the world, you're not looking primarily at the work of God right now. You're looking primarily at the work of Satan who is influencing the world in a direction opposite of God. So when God says, I've got to rescue all of humanity, in order to get back what humanity lost, he has to take on human flesh and enter into it and get it back as a man. That's important to understand, folks. It's important to understand. So Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man sent on a mission to rescue us. And see, in the incarnation, you need to understand, notice these, that Jesus took on the fullness of the human experience. Even though Jesus was God, Jesus had a real body. He was flesh and blood just like you and I. He had a heart beating in his chest. And, you know, there were heresies that said, well, no, he really didn't have a real body because if you're in flesh, you know, it's sinful and you can't have that. Well, no, he lived in a flesh body, but yet was without sin. He was conceived in his mother's womb. He was born because, see, God didn't even just show up as a 30-year-old man, did he? He became a helpless little baby crying and blowing out diapers and and doing all that stuff that babies do. He was living the fullness of the experience of the human life. And let me tell you something. Even though he was God as a little baby, he wasn't looking up at his mommy at six months old and saying, "Uh, Mother, let me talk to you about the, 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 the mysteries of the kingdom. You know, Just because he was God. No, he was developing as a human being. He couldn't speak all languages. There were limitations on his humanity to a, to a large degree. He grew weary. He became tired, the Bible says. He got hungry. He got thirsty. And another thing that you've got to understand is that Jesus took on a reasonable soul and he had a human psychology. The Bible says in Luke 2.52 that he grew in wisdom. He grew, he didn't, when he was a child, he didn't have all wisdom yet. Isn't that amazing? Even though he was God, never ceased to be God. In, it says in Hebrews 5, 8 that he became obedient. Number 8, it says that his human mind had limitations because he said one time, he said, you know what? The angels nor the Son know that day or hour when the Son is going to return, but only the Father knows. His human mind had certain limitations. There were certain revelations that the Father, for whatever reason in that moment, had not revealed to him. And I got to get more into this because you need to understand and sometimes people get really scared when you start talking in these ways about Jesus. Because they want Him to be... they want Because what we know about God is what? God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. God is omnipotent. He's all-power. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But when Jesus, even though all of those things were fully in Him as God, when He became a human being, He limited those things to a degree so that He could function fully as a human being. So why was the incarnation necessary? Number one, Jesus had to represent us in obedience. He became the last Adam. When Adam sinned, guess what? Every one of us inherited Adam's sin. But when Jesus did his work on the cross and he died and he reversed it and he got authority back from Satan as the anointed one, as the Christ, as the Messiah, and defeated death and raised back up out of the grave, he says, no longer are you in Adam, but if you believe in me, you are in Christ and you will receive the same exact spirit that I am carrying. He became our representative. Number two, he became our substitute sacrifice. There had to be a payment for our sin. You and I deserve death, but when the perfect one came and died in our place, it was a substitute that satisfied all payment. He came to be our high priest and our mediator. See, we needed somebody between God and man, and there's nobody that's better to mediate between God and man than one who is fully God and fully man. He's the perfect mediator between both of us. Number four is he, he came to be our example in life. We look to him as the literal perfect human being to say that's how you're supposed to live. And then he came to pattern the redeemed body which means that the reason one of these days and this gets me excited every time I think about it but the reason one of these days I ain't never going to have any more sicknesses or weaknesses and our bodies ain't going to break down anymore is because my Lord and Savior was a man who died on the cross and came up out of the grave and has a glorified body and the reason that he did that is so one day you could have a glorified body too. And so then lastly, he came to initiate a spirit-filled new creation humanity. All humanity was in bondage to sin. All humanity was in Adam. Christ came and reversed what Adam lost so he could initiate people who would walk and live as he walked, as human beings in right relationship with the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed to do God's work. Man, that's exciting to me. I don't know about you, but Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it says this, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." now see this does not mean what Paul is not saying here is that somehow when God comes and he takes on flesh that somehow he ceases being God when it says he emptied himself he's not getting rid of his divine attributes but what it's saying is he's entering so deeply into the fullness of the human experience that he's putting certain limitations on himself so that when you look at the life of Jesus and you see him walking on water and you see him raising the dead and you see him healing the sick and casting out demons you're not you you don't say, well, he did that because he was God, even though he was God. You say it because he was anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's an important, this is an important theological belief right here. Because if we look at Jesus and we say, well, he did all those things because he was God. And then his disciples did some of it because he just kind of gave them a quick, a quick kick, you know, in a rump. And said, here, let me give you a kickstart. But then all of a sudden now we live in an age where God doesn't use people like that anymore. Right. That challenges us because then we begin to believe, Okay, well, we're we we don't really have what Jesus had then in some regards. Something changed, something shifted. But see, the Bible just doesn't teach that. The Bible just doesn't teach that. And I'm going to go through scripture here to, to to lay this out a little bit. But what you need to understand, number two, is that Jesus was filled with and fully reliant upon the Holy Spirit for his life and ministry. And i got to ask you this question, and I'm going, to show, I'm going to prove it to you from Scripture, that Jesus was fully relying on the Holy Spirit, that He did nothing. The Bible even said, He said, I do only what I hear my Father say. I say only what I hear my Father say. I do only what I see my Father do. And the way that He heard what His Father was saying, and the way that He did what His Father was doing, was He had a relationship with the Father in which the Holy Spirit was revealing to Him what the Father was saying. He was showing him what the Father was doing. And day by day, he was through prayer and communion. Because here was always my question. It's like, if Jesus is God, why has he got to pray? I mean, have y'all ever thought that question? If Jesus is God, why in the world is he praying? Why has he got to pray? Because he entered into the fullness of human experience. And guess what human beings do? They need a relationship with God. And he was demonstrating a relationship with the Father for us so that we could pray as Jesus prayed. We could believe as Jesus believed. If he was God, let me tell you something, I bet God the Father ain't on the throne praying to himself. You understand what I'm saying? I know this is deep theology and it's hard for us to understand to some degree. But listen, the Lord will teach us something through this because we know that Jesus was conceived in his mother's in his mother's womb by the Spirit. We just, we read that a couple of weeks ago, right? And, and, and it even says in the Bible in Luke, you have other people being filled with the Spirit in Luke and obviously in Acts, then you see Jesus because John the Baptist, it said he was filled with his mother, with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And I got to assume that if the forerunner is filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, then Jesus was also filled with the Spirit and the Spirit was working in his life even while he was in the womb and even while he was growing as a baby and as a child and developing. Now, what about his childhood? This is a great mystery because the Bible doesn't say much about Jesus' childhood, does it? Uh, and, and we could just assume that he was walking around doing all kinds of weird miracles all the time. But that's not what the Bible teaches, right? He was waiting for his moment. He was waiting for his time. He was growing in preparation and something was happening. In Luke 2.40 it says this, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now if you read that, filled with wisdom, the Greek Word there, it's a progressive tense of being filled. In other words, he is steadily, continuously, uninterruptedly being filled with wisdom, but it's also the passive voice. It means that somebody else is filling him with this wisdom. So as a child, he's continually being filled with wisdom, but it's somebody else doing the filling. And I would argue that it is the Holy Spirit doing the filling because he was prophesied about in the Old Testament. And in Isaiah 11, verse 2, what does it say? It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So you see young Jesus being filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him, giving him wisdom, growing him in wisdom, growing him in understanding. And let me me say this, because even though Jesus never ceased to be God and he was all-knowing, right? But as a man, he limited that that aspect. He was not exercising his omniscience. He was not exercising his omnipotence. Those things that he did in power, he did by relying on the Holy Spirit. He didn't draw on his divine nature in order to do miracles. He drew on the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't receive knowledge because he would get words of knowledge about people. Don't you remember when he met? He met, I think it was Nathaniel out, and he said, Hey, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel's mind was blown. He said, How would you see me under the fig tree? Now, we could say, Well, he's God. He sees everything. But see, if we go based on what Scripture is really trying to show us, it was because the Holy Spirit revealed that to him in an image, in a word of knowledge, a spiritual gift, right, that he saw him under the fig tree. Everything Jesus did, He didn't do it simply because He was God. He did it relying upon the Holy Spirit to do it. So even as He's growing, let me, tell you, let me say this. I'm going, to take a, I'm going to take a stretch. Heresy police may come out. I don't know. But as Jesus is growing, his underst- He grew into this understanding of what the Father had called Him to do because of His humanity. Even though He was always God, never ceased being... He was growing as a human being, and he came to an understanding of what he would do and how he would die on the cross because as he was growing in right relationship with the Father, the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. Because there were even moments in his own humanity, if you realize it, that he wrestled with it. You see that? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and rather than saying, Hey, I knew this from the time I was born. I'm ready to die, baby. Let's go. He didn't do that. He knelt down on the ground and he sweat great drops of blood and he said, Father, if, it is your, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. He was wrestling with the Father's will because of his humanity. He said, nevertheless, not my will and my own humanity, but your will be done, demonstrating for us. That, man, there are going to be moments when we wrestle with what the Father's will is, but we can rely on the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to say, this is who you are, this is what I've called you to. And the same way that Jesus went through it, I will strengthen you to go through it because it's the very Spirit of Christ that lives in you now. He's leading us. He's becoming a model for us, a way for us, a path. We are following the way of Jesus as Christians. And you don't just say some cliche Christian statement like we're supposed to love people. Amen. You know we're supposed to love people. But you ain't going to love people like Jesus loved people unless you're filled with the Spirit like Jesus is filled with the Spirit. So we have to understand this. Luke 2, 47, you remember when Jesus, as a young boy, He goes into the temple at the age of 12. And it says, All who heard Him were amazed at His understanding and His answers. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was teaching Him things even at a young age giving him understanding, giving him wisdom. And you know, when he finally grows up and he's 30 years old, he's starting his ministry. He's not yet done one miracle. As far as we know, he maybe hasn't preached one sermon. He's 30 years old and he goes to the Jordan River where John the Baptist is baptizing people and he goes down and he's baptized by John and in Matthew 3 verse 16 and 17 it says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You see... The three persons of the Godhead right there in that moment. You see the Son being baptized in the water. The heavens opened and the Spirit of God descending upon Him and remaining on Him like a dove. And then you see the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The three persons of the Godhead. Now in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt. He's fully God, but He said, When you see me, guess who else you see? You see the Father. I love it. I, I read something this week because Carl uh, Bart. I don't know if you're familiar with him, you're probably not, but he was a theologian and one of his students came to him one time and he said, come on now, professor. He said, don't you think that God has revealed himself in religions other than Christianity? And Carl Barth responds, he says, God has revealed himself in no religions including Christianity. God has revealed himself in his son. That's real good. When you see God, listen, people say, well, I don't know about them people down there at that church. ain't really that Christian. I'm better than they are. Let me tell you something. God has not fully revealed himself through his church. God has fully revealed himself through his son. And when we look at Jesus, we see the father. Not when we look at the church, not when we don't look at my life. You're only going to see glimpses and measures of God as I yield to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to use me. But that is in a limited measure corporately what should be happening is that people should be coming in among us, among the people of God, and the Holy Spirit should be moving among us so powerfully that when people come in, they get a taste and a glimpse of God. They get a measure. They see the reflection of God. It points them to Jesus and when they more fully see Jesus, they more fully see God because He is God. He said you've seen me, you've seen the Father and the Spirit comes and rests upon him like a dove and John is no doubt referring to the fact that in the Old Testament the Spirit would come upon people temporarily but now when he comes on Jesus, he remains upon him. And when he comes in you, he stays with you. He abides with you forever. It's a new covenant, right? He doesn't just come upon me, he doesn't just stay in me for a season, he's in me for life. And not only that, he's going to be in me through eternity. He's going to be in me through eternity. And we talked last week about how there are moments when He comes upon us for specific things and specific power. And you remember the Holy Spirit in the very beginning, what was He doing? He was hovering over the waters, over the chaos. And when Jesus is down in the waters, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. And He comes and He descends like a dove. In the the, the Bible, you see that demonic spirits are often represented as birds like buzzards and crows, right? You see the birds that come and steal the seed and stuff like that. Now, if you, if you think about it, like, it, there'll be a dead carcass over here on the side of the road, right? And what not be on that thing? A big ugly buzzard just going off on that thing. And it represents the demonic. You'll never see a dove sitting on an old nasty, filthy carcass. Because doves are very particular. They're a very gentle bird, so to speak, right? They only land, right, on, on things that they're really serious about. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he's got a personality where he can be grieved. And you have to treat him with that kind of honor and that respect because you realize I'm carrying the very presence of God with me wherever I go. And Jesus understood that, and that's why he remained upon him. He said, this is a home where I can rest and dwell and use and empower and live through. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. And when the Holy Spirit came, what what happened? You look up in the sky, and the heavens were torn. What is God saying? God is saying that in that moment when the Holy Spirit came, what happens is He now unleashes the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's come and He's released His power. Now Peter begins to talk to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and it's the first time that the gospel has extended outside of the boundaries of Israel And Peter points Cornelius to what happened when Jesus was baptized and he makes this statement in Acts 10.38. He says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Now you could just say Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because he was God. But that's not what the verse says. The verse says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit in power. Then He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with Him. Jesus never cast out one devil. Jesus never healed one sick person until when the Holy Spirit came upon Him. And He was anointed, relying upon the Spirit to do what He was called to do. And I love what it says because when the Holy Spirit comes in a person's life, you know what the Holy Spirit comes to do? He comes to destroy the works of the devil. He comes to heal those who were oppressed by the devil, and He comes to empower you to do good. Why? Because God is with you in the Holy Spirit. God was with Him in the Holy Spirit. And so we see this reality over and over and over again in Scripture. After Jesus is baptized, I notice this in Mark 1.12. I like the way that it says it because it's really strong language. It says, after He was baptized, the Spirit immediately drove Him into the wilderness. You ever been driven by the Spirit? You know, I've seen people living lives and they're driven by something. Addiction drives them. Their pride drives them. Certain things drive There There's spirits behind people that drive them. But what about when the Holy Spirit gets in your life and begins to drive you? Now, here's the thing. What I love about this is when the Holy Spirit drove him, he got filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness where he's not going to eat for 40 days he's not going to have shelter and he's going to be tempted by the devil because sometimes the holy spirit will drive you right into a trial friends and the reason he will drive you right into a trial is because he's looking to develop you he's looking to prepare you and jesus was not yet fully prepared the same way that israel who jesus was representing was 40 years in the wilderness jesus was going to spend 40 years in the wilderness or 40 days in the wilderness to typify what they went through and be tempted by the devil, be tested by the devil in his humanity, and how did Jesus find strength in the midst of these forty days of fasting to overcome all the temptations of the devil? Well, he drew upon the power of the Spirit. Here's what it says in Luke four, verse one and two. It says, "In Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit." Notice that returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Well, I would say so. Why would it even add that on there? I think it's actually saying that, look, he, when he chose to fast 40 days, yes, God was with him and empowered him to do it. But at the same time, you got to understand, it was, he wasn't just out there like, I, I'm God, I don't sense hunger like others. He was sensing hunger the same way you and I sense hunger if we'd went through the exact same thing. He was dealing with temptation and even though there's a strong argument and I believe that it was actually impossible to ever get Jesus to sin because you can't get God to sin, but yet in His humanity He faced the temptation. He, he felt the lust of the flesh. He saw the lust of the eyes. He saw the pride of the life. It was a pull on His human nature So to some degree. But see, it says that he went through this. He was tempted at all points the same way that Adam and Eve was tempted because if he's going to be a proper representative, he's got to be tempted at all points just like you and I are tempted. In order to redo what Adam did and undo it, he had to be tempted just like Adam was tempted. And so he was tempted three times by Satan, and each time he quoted the Word of God. And when he come out, having resisted the temptation through the power of the Spirit, in Luke 4, verse 14 and 15, it says that Jesus returned from the wilderness. What? What? in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And report went about Him all throughout the surrounding country, and He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Because I want you to understand this. You can be, when you get saved, we talked about this, You're, you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. Amen? Amen? But can I tell you that I really believe, and I believe through this sermon series I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring this out that how we function and are used by the Holy Spirit and our ability to yield with the Holy Spirit and be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, we can grow in our capacity of that. And it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit before He went into the wilderness, but after He went through that trial and overcame those temptations, He returned in the power of the Spirit. You're going to go through things in your life that the Holy Spirit is just setting you up because He says, I want to be able to use more of you, but until I know you can overcome these trials and overcome these temptations and grow and increase your capacity for my fullness, I cannot give you more of myself. But if you'll give me more of yourself and you'll go through this process, you will return in the power of the Spirit the same way your Lord and Savior did because He is your forerunner, your model. He has gone on before us. He is the firstborn among many brethren. We are His brothers and sisters. Man, I love this. I get passionate about this because Jesus, man, He is my God. And He is my Lord. And He is my Savior. But when He asks me to follow Him... He's asking me to follow Him knowing full well how He lived His life and how He accomplished His ministry. And He says to me, Clay, if I was fully reliant on the Holy Spirit, how much more do you need to be fully reliant on the Holy Spirit to use you and work through you and strengthen you and do what needs to be done in your life? You've got to be full. And if that isn't enough, all of that, thing, all of that going on, then he, stand, he goes into the synagogue in the same chapter, Luke chapter 4, verse 17, and He, and he, got, he turns to the prophet Isaiah and he did, this wasn't just happenstance. It wasn't what they were reading that day. He, it says they was, He was given the scroll. He turned to where Isaiah 61 was and He said this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He's saying the proclamation of my teaching, when you see the demon possessed get set free, when you see the blind eyes open and people even just coming to a realization of who God the Father is, it is because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and He has anointed me to minister to the broken. And to the afflicted, the Spirit is upon him. You know, when we say Jesus Christ, it didn't happen that it was his last name. His mama's name was not Mary Christ, his daddy's name was not Joseph Christ. His name was Jesus, Yeshua of Nazareth. That's how they name people from their place or who their daddy was. Yeshua, son of Joseph of Nazareth, that was his name. We call Him Jesus Christ because Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Messiah, the Old Testament name for the one upon whom the Spirit would come. The anointed one. The one upon whom the Spirit dwells. This is why we call Him Christ. And this is why we call us Christians. Because we are little anointed ones. Amen. I don't know about y'all. I get excited thinking about it. And when we see this reality in Scripture, it becomes even more apparent. I could go for days. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus comes upon a demonized man and he's he's oppressed with a demon and it says that he's both blind and could not speak. I mean, obviously that's an awful thing. He's blind and he couldn't speak. Jesus goes and ministers to him in the power of the Spirit. It doesn't say that at first, but he ministers to him. He casts the demon out of him and, and it says he both saw... And he spoke. Now religious leaders were around him at that time. And they got all upset because this man's going around healing people. Right, right? Like some religious leaders get ticked off today when people get healed and stuff. Like it's strange, but, but I mean, what are you going to do? They were there. They were upset. And, and, and they say, you know what? It's by the prince of the devils, Beelzebub, that this dude is casting out devils. And Jesus, I imagine, if, if I'd been Jesus, I'd be like, oh, all right, all right going to be all right. And he probably got himself together. Right now, he did a lot better than I did. But in Matthew 12, 28, he says this. He says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, how's he cast out demons? He does it by the spirit of God. He said, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And in this moment, Jesus is giving a definition for all Christian ministry. All Christian ministry is when we preach the Word, when we pray for the sick when we minister to the broken, when we counsel the afflicted, what we are doing in essence is we are doing it with the anointing of the Spirit upon us and we're bringing the kingdom of God upon a person in a collision course with the kingdom of darkness. And let me tell you something, the kingdom of of, of God trumps the kingdom of darkness and it drives out all evil. It drives out sickness and disease and oppression and depression and fear and anxiety. When the kingdom of God comes, people are changed. And I'm telling you right now, When we have a good church service and God is moving, sometimes I look out at the crowd and I see tears and people will come to me and they will say, you know what, I just feel so much lighter. I feel so much freer. I feel like God's moving in my life. Do you know what's happening to you? The kingdom of God is coming upon you. The kingdom of God is coming upon you. Now, has it come in its fullness? Absolutely not. Are there limitations to it? Yes, there are because we're human and we're flawed. There are limitations. We're not Jesus. We're not God. But we still have a ministry, and we want the kingdom of God to come upon people's lives, and it is the Spirit of God which brings freedom into these people's lives. And this was such a big deal to Jesus that He needs to confront these guys after they say this because He says in Matthew 12, verse 31 and 32, He says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, this is a scary verse for a lot of people, and I want to clear this up before we go on, because any time you read that verse, the devil will get in people's heads and say, you know what, you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. There's so many people that come to me, they said, you know what, I said some bad things about some people the other day, and I know they just get a little bit crazy, but they say it's the Holy Spirit, and I don't believe it is, and I'm wondering if I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I personally believe that this, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because, and let me put it to you this way. When the Holy Spirit works through me, He's working through a flawed vessel. And there's a lot of me that still shows up a lot of times. Like they're probably, I'm going to get up here on some Sundays and say some things. Lord, please don't let this happen. But I might say some things sometimes that I actually need to come in and apologize for. You understand what I'm saying? Because even though I believe that the Holy Spirit uses me in power and I know He gives me abilities to do and speak and and, and say things and pray for people and do all those things that I would not have in my own strength, there's still that element of me in this thing. But with Jesus, there is not that element. And what you see is the full work of the Holy Spirit working through Jesus and He's saying, if you're going to blame what the Holy Spirit just did through me to set this person free on the devil even though I'm a perfect man, I'm the Son of God, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'll forgive you if you talk bad about me, but it will not be forgiven if you're going to blaspheme the work of the Holy Spirit. What you see in the Godhead is really interesting because the Father always points to the Son and to the Spirit. The Son always points to the Father and to the Spirit. And the Spirit always points to the Father and the Son. And they work in interdependence. And do you know that in the same way when the Holy Spirit fills us, we are to work in interdependence? That God gives some people gifts to preach. He gives some people gifts to sing. He gives some people gifts to literally lay hands on the sick and see them recover. He gives other people gifts to have words of encouragement for people that are broken and afflicted. And they're empowered by God to encourage people like that. And we have to rely on everybody. And what I'm saying is we live in a church setting in a church world where we think, man, the only people who do anything are the people who preach and play music. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. We need people anointed by the Spirit of God outside these walls on a daily basis preaching the truth of God's Word, laying hands on people that are sick and afflicted and believing God to move. Believing God to move. And this is what He's calling us into. All throughout Luke's gospel and the book of Acts, the word power you'll see, it'll appear, and it's almost always with the, synonymous with the Holy Spirit. Luke 5:17 it says, On one of these days, as He was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and notice this, and the power of the Lord was with Him to heal. Now my question would be, if He's God, how come He needs the power of the Lord there with Him to heal? I mean, like, when I read the Bible, I just think analytically. Why does he need the power of the Lord there with him to heal if he's already God? Because once again, he's relying on the Holy Spirit to bring it. And there are moments when the Holy Spirit manifested his power. What we know about Jesus is, guess what? He didn't heal everybody, did he? But he did heal everybody that came to him. And when when they came to him, there were moments when the power of the Holy Spirit was present there to heal. Now, I really believe this. You may disagree with me. I know people got different theologies and different backgrounds. But I have experienced moments when you just can sense it's different. Something is present here to do something different this morning, right? Well, you sense that sometimes. And sometimes we see nothing happen. You preach the Word, we grow, we hear the Word. But there are moments, and I believe if we would pray and we would be more open to it, when you talk about the power of the Lord, what you're talking about is the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit to do something very specific. And sometimes you're going to be open to this reality and God's going to come and you're going to sense and the power of the Lord is going to be present there to do something that He wasn't there to do before. Does that make sense? It's like we talked about last week. You're open to the Spirit coming upon us. And we, and we as a church body, man, we've got to be open to saying, God, Holy Spirit, just like we were singing this morning, come and have your way. We want to pray. We want to fast. We want to be in communion with God the Father so that we can be open to the Holy Spirit doing some things that we, He would not do otherwise. Now, even in the emotional life of Jesus, He was under the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 10, 21 it said, in that same hour, He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Do you know that He relied, His emotions were even governed by the Holy Spirit. You know, last night it was about probably 11.30 and I was praying over a lot of things and I had a lot of things going through my mind and different things that were burdening me. And, and, and I was sitting there, and honestly, I, 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 was, I knew I was going to have a hard time to sleep, but here's what I found out about the Holy Spirit. I began to pray, and as I did, all of a sudden, I just I sensed His presence. And something changed in my heart, and the burden was lifted, and it was almost like I could just sense God saying to me, Son, it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. And in that moment, there was an overwhelming love that flooded my soul and my emotions. And any kind of depression or fear or anxiety that I had just started to lift. And I started to cry. And the Holy Spirit began to govern my emotions. He began to change the way I felt about things. He began to humble me right there in that moment. And my my, my point to you is Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit for His mother. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. We can rejoice and we can love in the Holy Spirit and we can experience these things. In Acts 1, uh, verse 1 through 2, it says, In this first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up. Watch this. After He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, Jesus is resurrected in a glorified body and He's still relying upon the Holy Spirit so that He can teach accurately to His apostles. He never operated, he never taught, he never preached, he never laid hands on a sick person without knowing that it was the Holy Spirit doing the work through him. That's amazing. He's setting a precedent for us as the perfect man, as the God-man. What about the death of Jesus? Hebrews nine fourteen said, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience? Through the eternal Spirit. 17 times in the New Testament, it is God the Father who raises Jesus from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's my last point, and I'm done. I had to give, I gave you a lot of... This is a Bible study this morning, wasn't it? Yeah. Clay, you gave us 700 verses. Go back and listen to it again. <laughs> Write it down, praise the Lord. Number three, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to continue His mission. Amen. You say, wow, man, that's 2,000 years ago, Clay. Why are you giving me a historical study on Jesus? I mean, that's, that's Jesus. He did that stuff. We're not to do that stuff. And you say, well, His disciples did it. Yeah, but that was for them. You know, we don't... Today, really, the Holy Spirit's given to kind of make you feel bad about sin and then show up at church on Sunday and sing a song and listen to a dude for an hour. I, and here's the thing. I know y'all don't believe that, but oftentimes we live like it. Yeah. We believe that the best the Holy Spirit has got to offer in our day and age is to convict us of sin and help us show up at church and be a little bit happy on occasion. Man, there is more to God than that. There is more to God than what we are doing right here in this Sunday morning service. It's a pretty decent pattern for how church should work. Like we gather on Sunday, you got to have a corporate worship, and you got to meet together outside of the building, but we are falling far, far, far short of what the church looks like in the New Testament. And I'm not saying that as a word of condemnation. I'm saying to all of us, there is more and we can pursue it. And we can see God move in greater ways in our midst. And we ain't trying to be crazy. Matter of fact, you know, people say, well, you know, Jesus, he was actually actually less human though because he was so God. No, Jesus was more human. He was more human than I was. He was more human than you were. He was what a human is supposed to look like. God sent him and said, this is my design. Y'all are a little bit marred, but he's come to heal you. Man, Jesus is coming. He's showing up to do these things. And when He is raised from the dead, He comes in John 20, verse 21 and 22. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Don't be frightened, little folks. As the Father has sent me, notice these words, as the Father has sent me, even so I am now sending you. And when He said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He's saying, the Father sent me in the power of the Holy Spirit to minister to a broken world, to destroy the works of the devil and to bring redemption to all humanity by dying on the cross and shedding my blood and being raised from the dead on the third day. And He empowered me by the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Now I'm sending you to do the same mission and I will continue my work through you, but you got to receive the Holy Spirit in order to do it. I'm sending y'all. Now, He didn't say, you know, Father, I'm about done and I'm going to leave. Will you send the second string, Holy Spirit? Send send that one, hey, don't send him the one I got. Send that junior Holy Spirit, that one that doesn't do near as much as what he did here in the scriptures. The one that doesn't really empower people the same way that he used to. No, and I'm going to say this again. I don't expect to do everything that Jesus did personally, right? And really when I don't expect that, I go against what Jesus said. I go against what Jesus, when I say I don't expect to do what Jesus did, I go against what Jesus said. And I don't believe what he said. And we're going to get into that right here because in the scriptures in John 14, verse 12 through 13, notice what he said Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And he speaks about that in context of saying, in verse 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive. Now, I want you to listen to that just for a minute. He says, he who believes on me, the works that I do, He will do also. And even greater works than these shall He do because I go to my Father. Now, and when I read that, I'll be honest with you. I don't believe it. It's unbelievable. I'm like, Jesus, you don't really mean it that way. And do you know that most theologians have accepted the fact that they think it's un- unbelievable and, and taught this that what he's actually talking about is that now you can actually go out and get people saved. And, I, and here's what I'd say to that if that's what you believe, good. Why aren't you allowing the Holy Spirit to send you out and get people saved? If that's the only thing that he's talking about, then let's let this allow the Holy Spirit to use us to get people saved. Amen. Amen. But could it be that he's talking about even far more than that? Could it be that he's sending us forth in power to say, look, I ain't just going to give it to one dude because let's be honest. If the Lord were to just give me the fullness of the Spirit and I went around raising the dead and casting out demons and healing the sick everywhere that I went, I've got character flaws. That would go to my head. I'd probably have y'all try and bow down and worship me. I'd be like, I've healed 30 sick today bow before me God knows what He's doing this is why He connects us as a body that we rely on one another and I'm telling you right now yeah God's gifted me to teach and to preach but there are many things He's not gifted me to do and some of y'all in here you may say man God's I've got nothing I've got no talent, I've got no skill, I've got nothing but what if you prayed, what if you sought God and what if He led you to somebody that was afflicted to give them a word of encouragement that strengthened them and gave them life What if he sent you to somebody that's been dealing with sickness and that particular time that you lay hands on them because I've seen people get prayed for and get healed, folks. I don't care what you believe, I've seen it happen. I've prayed for a lot of people and nothing happened but that does not change the fact that Jesus says lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Like we're called to go out and at least pursue the things of God that when people are sick, don't just look at them and say, I'm sorry, God doesn't do stuff like that anymore. Best you can hope for is to believe the gospel and get saved. And that's that's the top priority, isn't it? That people would believe the gospel and give their life to Jesus and get saved. But what if in these last days we really, genuinely, sincerely need this power that God has given us through the Spirit so that His kingdom would be advanced? We're not called to just sit in a pew and be weak and powerless. We're called to go forth, man, and let God use us in ways. And I'm telling you, you will be surprised by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life if you would simply open your heart to Him. You'd simply say, Lord, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I need to go back and reread the Bible and see what it actually says about what the potential is because it says in here that Jesus has given us this spirit. There's a guy, and I don't know if you take book recommendations, but there's a guy that wrote a book. I was reading it some last night, and I can't hardly put it down. It's called The Presence and the Power by this guy named Gerald Hawthorne. And he's a professor of Greek at Wheaton College. And he's a brilliant dude, but... He talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus. And here's what he says. He says the significance of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus extends to his followers in all of the little and big things in their existences. That means he'll help remind you to turn the coffee pot off. And he will also lead you to preach the gospel to somebody that's lost. The spirit that helped Jesus overcome temptations, that strengthened him in weakness, that aided him in the hard job of taking on himself the hurts of the hurting, that infused him with the power to accomplish the impossible, that enabled him to stay with and complete the task that God had given him to do, that brought him through death and into resurrection is the spirit that the resurrected Jesus has freely and lavishly given to those who would be his disciples today. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? He taught them how to pray and how to keep praying persistently. And then he made this statement in Luke 11:13. 13. He said, if, the, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And we could say, well, we already got the Holy Spirit. We're saved. But Jesus is, I believe, saying, you know, when I was in communion with my Father, I was praying and I was saying, Heavenly Father, give me the fullness of the supply of the Holy Spirit to carry out the work and the mission that you have given me tomorrow because there's afflicted there's sick there's lost and there's broken people and I need the supply of the spirit to minister to those people so I'm asking you to give me the Holy Spirit and we need to continually be asking Lord fill me with your spirit that I could be used that I could be led as Christ led and I understand we're not Jesus folks we're not God that's the reason we need to rely on the Holy Spirit all the more But I'm going to take Jesus at his word and I'm just going to be open and say, Lord, I believe that you're probably not going to use me to do all these things, but I bet you'll use your whole body if we'll seek your face. So that's what we need to come to. Say, Lord, we need more of your spirit in our lives to govern us, to govern our emotions, to lead us, to help us minister to people. Let's bow our heads together. Let's pray for that this morning. I want you to begin to pray right where you're at. Lord, I need more of your Holy Spirit. And regardless of what I believed up to this point and the limits that we've put on it, God, we know that in our own self, we put limits on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our mind, in things that we've believed. But Lord, your word says that you're sending us just as the Father sent you and you're telling us to receive the Holy Spirit because there is a greater power available to us to carry out your work in your ministry. And we've got to be preaching the gospel to the broken. We've got to be healing the brokenhearted and seeing captives that are bound by Satan set free through and by the power of your Spirit. And so this morning, Lord, we're asking you, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh? Would you lead us in the greater realms of your power, God, so that we can be used and that we can be your body in the earth? Lord, we love you and we rely upon you. And Holy Spirit, we're just declaring that we need you more than we ever have. We need you to come and move in our hearts and move in our minds, Lord, and move in our families and move in our church. Pour out your Spirit in our midst. We ask you right now this in Jesus' name. I want you to stand on your feet. Listen, as we say every week, we got to learn how to respond to the Lord. You've heard the Word this morning and God is just asking you to respond. And I believe some of you may need prayer. I'd love to pray with you gather around this altar to pray if you like. will respond to the Lord. Seek the Lord. Pursue the Lord. If you ask Him for the Holy Spirit, He's going to give it to you. And He's going to continue to give it to you.